The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Jesus said to his disciples, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Gospel of the Lord. Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Happy Trinity Sunday. And if you have any idea what that means, please stand up and share it with us and I'll go sit down. <laughs> so Trinity Sunday notoriously is the Sunday when seminarians are invited to come and preach because <laughs> maybe they have some insight. The truth is Trinity is a tricky concept. Um, how, you know, people who don't grow up in the Christian tradition um, find it very confusing, and we say, welcome to the party. <laughs> it's very confusing. How do we have one God, but that is triune? How are there three parts but one? It's hard. It's difficult. It does not make much sense. I'm going to completely own to that. Um, and it's rooted in our, our general difficulty in finding any kind of language that makes sense for God, right? When we're dealing with something that is so vast and infinite and incomprehensible, um, our, our words just fail us. So we do the best we can. Uh, and we have gifted to us certain language from Jesus about how to think of this triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's very tidy. It's very tidy language, um, but it's also difficult language, right? So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you might have noticed, is very male, right? There's just a lot of men in that group. <laughs> and so one of the challenges for us in the way we speak about God in this Trinitarian theology is that because we are so anchored in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit language, we tend to think of God as male, because that's the language we've always used, right? Uh, but the problem with that is that we know God is not male. God is also not female. God is also both male and female. God is also transgender and gender neutral, and non-binary, and God is everything anyone could possibly be because each and every one of us is made in the image of God, so therefore, God must represent all of the above, right? So the issue that we have with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit language is how patriarchal that language is, and we see a movement in the church that's been going on for quite a while, but pops its head up um, I, in ways that are reported on, for instance, uh, 
church might have a meeting and decide we're not going to use that kind of language anymore and we're going to switch and that makes the news. Uh, and that's with good reason that the struggle with that language is that it is so male-centric and many of us don't relate to God exclusively in male ways, right? That many people connect with God as mother. You know, I talked, gosh, it's been quite a while ago now about the mother hen, the picture of that awful, ugly mother hen and her ugly little chickens underneath her, her, her wingspan, but that many of us connect to God as feminine, uh, as caring and loving in the way that we think of a mother as being loving. Many people connect to God as no real gender, um, but as a personality in our lives. And so there's been a move to try and shift our language a little bit to include more facets of God's self, if you will. And you'll notice that in some of our language, that, that sometimes instead of saying him, I'll say God, sometimes you'll hear me say her uh, or she in referring to God, because I want to try and include all that God is, which is impossible, but I'm, I'm going to try my best. And that's why some language, for instance, uh, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, that you'll find in some churches that uh, there's a shift to use that language. Instead of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Yes, I love that language. I think that's pretty cool, right? Because that speaks to the activity, the action of God, that God creates, God redeems, and God sustains. And so sometimes you'll find churches will move exclusively to that language. Um, and I think it's good language. I, I like it. I think it, there's good theology in that. Uh, and using those words, because it reminds us how present God is in all three of those activities all the time. That God isn't just a person or persons, a trinity, uh, but that God instead actively is engaged in this world here and now, is constantly creating, redeeming, and sustaining us. So I really like that language. But there again, same issue we have with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If we only use that language, then it begins to shift in our minds to open the door for some misunderstanding. If we only use Creator, Sustainer, and Redeemer, then we have a tendency to then silo God's work into those three personalities in that way. That God the Father equals God the Creator, so therefore that person of the Trinity does the creation work. That God the Son equals God the Redeemer, so that member of the Trinity only does the redeeming work. And the Holy Spirit, well, confuses us all, but does the sustaining work, right? That somehow those, they each have a job. That's their job title, right? That those three persons are separate and they have those jobs. Well, here's the problem with that. Um, early in the life of the church, we decided that was a heresy called modalism. All right. in the first few centuries of the church. Uh, so we can't think of God only in those terms, and here's why. We know from Genesis that the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, the Creator, the, the Redeemer, and the Sustainer were co-eternal and all-present in the creation of everything. That it wasn't just God the Father there at the very beginning, God the Creator there at the very beginning, saying, everything be, and then later popped up, the redeemer and the sustainer. That's not what we hear in Genesis. What we hear in Genesis is God said, and the world came into being. Well, you speak, I think that action of God speaking is extremely deliberate. 
Because you speak using words, and the word, the logos, from John's gospel, we know is nothing else than Jesus himself. So in the beginning, Christ was there, part of the creative work. And how do we speak? We draw breath. God breathes life into all of us. What is the breath? Well, nothing less than the Holy Spirit. So we can't say that only God the Father creates and only God the Son redeems and only God the Holy Spirit sustains because we know from the beginning of time they've all worked together in community to do all of this work. That's the unity in the triune. So they're all there being a part of that. Each member of the Trinity is doing all of that work together. It really is an outpouring of the love the three members of the Trinity share that bond them into one. I know, it's a lot to wrap our brain around. <coughs> but that's why we can't only use that language of creator, uh, redeemer, and sustainer. And I dig that language, but we can't just use that language. And you'll find that I also still use Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One, because I am a traditional person. I love tradition. Give me a tradition, I'm just going to keep going, because I just, I love the way it connects us to history. Right? That, that just on the surface, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, well, if it was good enough for Jesus, I suppose it'll do for me too. <laughs> and I hear the voices of my mothers and my fathers and my none of the aboves in the life of the church. Right? I hear their voices in that language. I love the way it connects me to our rich heritage. But more than that, there's a reason why Jesus employed that language of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It was not to tell us, by the way, God's a man, and let's just get that straight. No, that's not at all what Jesus was trying to do. What Jesus was doing in the employment of that language of Father, really, in the language of Daddy, Jesus says the perfect prayer, our Father, Abba, better translated as Daddy. It was about relationship. It wasn't about gender, it was about relationship. That God the Father has a close, intimate, caring, personal relationship with God the Son. One that is formative, transformative, that is um, caring like a parent cares for a child, looking out, challenging, strengthening, encouraging, pushing, um, all of the things that a very good, the best parent can offer, that's the kind of relationship between the first and second members of the Trinity. Here's why that's so important for us. Because without that peace, when Christ says to us, you now are adopted by grace as children of God, if we don't understand the intimate nature of that relationship, then who cares, right? I, if I'm just adopted by God, that is some nebulous concept out there that really doesn't have a personality, it doesn't mean anything, and is not engaged in my life in a way that I can process it, then who cares? Right? So what if I'm adopted? You know, philosophers, theologians long have used this word God to refer simply to the divine. So we can say God and mean in some worlds of philosophy, the ultimate clockmaker that wound up the clock and let it go, and all of creation is just simply doing and ticking along, and the clockmaker doesn't care what happens to the clock anymore. We use the word God for that being. But that's not who Jesus is talking about. 
Jesus was trying to say to us, no, 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 it's more than that. God is intimately involved in your lives as God has been intimately involved in mine. In an eternal, hands-on, loving, caring, unconditional, self-sacrificing love. That's what we're talking about here. So that's why that language of father and son is still essential for us. Now, if in your own life, this is another problem we have, though. Some people don't have the best dads in the world, right? Some people hit against father, son, and they go, oh, gosh, no. Sort of like the difference between uh, grandparents, grandfathers that were known as grandfather and grandfathers known as papa, right? Grandfather, I'm not climbing up in his lap and telling him what's going wrong. I'm going to bring my straight A paper and hope he gives me a smile. Papa, I'm going to run to and tell him everything that's happening. And I can't wait to see him. And I want him to be a part of my life. I can't wait for him to take me fishing and do all the things. That's the difference in that language. God can be very distant. Daddy, oh, that's somebody in my life. But for some of us, we need to replace some of that language, right? For some of us, it's more helpful to think of God, not as father, because maybe father wasn't great, but instead as mother or uncle. I had a friend who had a terrible father, but an awesome uncle. And her word for God was uncle. That was the connection that made sense for her. So we have to think about how we use language and make sure that we're encompassing a lot of different ways of referring to God, because we are never going to get it right. We're never going to be perfect with it. Any way we decide to refer to this triune nature of God, or even God, God's self, is going to be imperfect, right? I try and say God a lot instead of him, just because we don't have a really good gender-neutral pronoun that works, but it drives me crazy grammatically. God, God's self, oh, that bothers me so much from a grammatical standpoint, but our, la our language fails us. Our language fails us. So it's important that we encompass, we bring in as much of that language as we can to help form ourselves and into one another into understanding just what this nature of God is. And isn't that a peculiar thing? I find it so strange and yet so poetic and beautiful and tragic that our language fails us when we're talking about the one person that means the most to us, right? Isn't that remarkable that our words will never be enough to refer to the one person that's with us every day, our entire lives, and after, that's the first person that in a moment of crisis we cry out for, that in those times when we're in deep despair, that's the person whose home, whose sense of belonging we're running to, to seek some sort of comfort, that that person that means so much to us, we just can't, yeah. The words aren't there. Isn't that peculiar? Perhaps God means so much to us that we just, God is ineffable. It's not possible. So my encouragement for you this week, this week after Trinity Sunday, spend some time really thinking about your language around God. When you think about God, when you pray, when you're in conversation with God, when you're thinking abstractly about God or doing studies, how is it you think about that person, that presence in your life? What are the words that come to mind? Do you like those words? Do you not like those words? Why do you use those words? 
Are there ones that actually probably would make more sense for you? Or maybe they're ones that you've used forever and you're going to fall in love with them all over again. So homework, I love me some homework. Think about your language around God. Diversify it. Share it. This is why it's so important and why we need all of that. I can sit in my little theological wheelhouse with all of my words and only have the tiniest little sliver of understanding. But the second we come in community, which, by the way, is a huge part of Trinity, Trinity shows us how we are to live in community and that we're not whole unless we're in community. God is not whole outside of being in community. That community is important because you bring yourself, I bring myself, you bring your knowledge, your understanding, and we share that, and we all come to have a better understanding and relationship with God. So do your homework and share it fearlessly. I can't wait to learn something. Amen.